Advent begins today. Advent means coming. It's the idea behind Advent is uh, that first glimpse of dawn as it, as it breaks on the horizon. That's what Advent is. And after a cold, dark night, when you, when you see that first glimpse of dawn, when you see the sun beginning to just show its colors on the horizon, there's a sense of hope that the darkness um, of night will not last. And for the people of Israel, um, yearning and seeking Messiah, this was the hope of Advent. This was hope of God come to us, to be with us, to walk our lives with us. And because of Jesus's coming um, during this season of Advent, we, know, we not only look back at that, but we also look forward. We look forward to the day, and we've been talking about this all series, that day when the world will be brought back and made right. That injustice will go, that sin and death will no longer have a hold on us. And that's partly why we're in this series in Philippians. This is week 18. Um, and some of you are, we're, we're probably more isolated at this time than we have been during the fall. And for some of you, you're sitting here and you're like, yeah, but Christmas, it just doesn't feel like the Christmas season. It doesn't feel like Christmas carols and decorations and all that kind of stuff. And I know a number of people, it's been a fascinating thing to watch, a number of people have set up Christmas early, even before Thanksgiving, which is normally a huge no-no in my book. But uh, I get it. Some people want to experience, in a sense, the holiday magic, so to speak. But I want to encourage you that Advent might be, Advent might be more magic than you even thought it could be. And I want to encourage you maybe as a family uh, maybe in your own reading, in your own mind, to focus your mind more on Advent than on Christmas. Because Advent is this celebration and this excitement of the coming of the Messiah. And, and we have celebration and excitement for that day when God will make everything new again, make everything right again. And so I want to begin by reading our passage, even though you read it already in your house church. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think of such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, Put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. See, Paul is wrapping up his letter to the Philippians, and he's doing a series of things where he is showing us, um, is showing the Philippian house church, and in turn us, what it looks like to stand firm, what it looks like to be a colony of heaven. 
And uh, we talked about being of the same mind a couple weeks ago. Uh, we talked about rejoicing in the Lord, letting, letting your gentleness be evident to all. We talked about anxiety. Uh, do not be anxious about anything. And, and this is all what it looks like to, as a community, okay, this isn't an individualistic thing. This is as a community to dig your heels in, to face what's coming, and to overlap shields together. And then he says this, finally, or um, in addition to one last thing, he says, think about such things. Um, the word here, think, is legizomai. And it actually means, it, you can list off a number of meetings here, ponder, to dwell on, to reflect, to muse, to ruminate, to imagine, to daydream, to focus on, chew on, and, and, and ultimately to meditate. And many of the scholars, uh, rightly so, actually choose the word meditate here. Um, and, and, and because Paul is a Jewish rabbi, he's actually, this word in Greek is actually uh, transposed back to, we can see how it comes to us through Hebrew. And it's actually a Hebrew Meaning It actually has a deep Hebrew roots. Think back to Psalm chapter 1. Um, you, you encourage you to read Psalm chapter 1. But what it looks like to meditate. What it looks like to meditate. Now, some of you might be kind of freaking out here. What is meditation? Um, there's a seismic gap between Eastern meditation and Hebrew meditation. Eastern meditation is the idea of emptying your mind, okay? To empty your mind uh, of all thoughts, of all anxiety, of all, of all of your thinking. Hebrew meditation is actually the reverse. It's actually to fill your mind, to actually fill your mind with uh, the Hebrew scriptures, to think of God, to think of truth and wisdom and purity. And it's to bring those things and replace by pulling those things into your mind, scripture and song, it actually replaces the things in our minds that are um, not right, that are unhealthy. And Paul is calling the Philippians to fill up their minds, to fill up their minds on the right thinking. And, and so the question is, with what? What do we fill our minds with? Well, Paul gives us a list of things to meditate about, to ponder, to ruminate on, to think about. Um, and we're going to go through those one by one. The first one is whatever is true. Now, the word true here is the idea of whatever corresponds with reality. And Paul is not talking about... Um, uh, let me just pass on that. <laughs> Paul is... Paul has left us off on talking about anxiety. So last week, Mandy talked about these two verses in Philippians, uh, chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. I'm going to reread these. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The idea about anxiety, uh, and, and Mandy touched on this last week, is that anxiety is all about what is untrue, right? It's all about the what ifs. 
And, um, and I think you would agree with that. It's like most of our anxiety are about things that probably won't happen. Uh, and we freak out and, and those things never really come true. And, and so it's really our thinking about reality um, that isn't reality. Um, it's our thinking about what may happen in reality but hasn't happened in reality. And so it's full of hypotheticals and, 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 um, and this is the thing that causes us so much anxiety. So when we think about things that are not true or untrue or haven't really happened in reality, what we're doing is we're missing out on what is true. And this is why we read scripture. This is why um, we're encouraged in scripture to read scripture because scripture is when we open it, when we set aside time, when we slow down, when we when we rest, when we take a deep breath and open up the scriptures and and sit and, and read the, the Spirit of God, you're filling your mind about the real true story of the world. Now, you may not understand everything you're reading all the time, but my encouragement to you is to read scriptures, to pick up the scriptures and read them, to uh, let the Spirit do that work. Think about whatever is true. The next one he says is, whatever is noble. Now, the Greek word here is this idea of behavior fitting for nobility. And so we're expected, um, and, and according to Paul, to think about uh, things that someone who is a son or daughter of the king would think about. Because that's exactly what we are. We are adopted by God. We are in the family of God. And in this idea of living into and thinking about who you really are and the implications of that standing that you and I have with Jesus. So he's calling the Philippian house church to think and act nobly and the think and act of what is fitting for the child of the king. And then he goes on, he says, whatever, think about whatever is just, think about whatever is right and the word here is used for the idea of weights and measurements. And so we've, we've talked about this before, but um, the idea of weights and measurement in the marketplace, and you would, you would weigh, um, the, as, as, you, as you exchanged currency, was in weights and measurements. And so the idea here is that when the scales are even, it's how God intended it to be. And not all of life is how God intended it to be. Um, but, but what Paul is saying here is think about whatever is just and right. Think about the way things are how God intended it to be. As if God should, how things should operate under God's rule and his reign. The problem is, is we have the news. And we have the news at our fingertips. We have notifications. We have the the actual old school TV news. Some of you actually still read the paper. Some of you don't know what the newspaper is. Um, but the idea is, is that when you feed off of the news, when most of your content in your life and you keep thinking about how things are wrong in the world. I mean, this is the reality. The news media is about profit. 
they're not about the news. They're about profit. Profit comes when you sensationalize things and when you show people things and highlight things in the world that are wrong. The human condition tends to gravitate towards those things. And so our news really is about profit. Uh, case in point, um, actually historians Archaeologists, sociologists have all like dug back in through history. And, and right now in human history, there is actually less violence today than in any other point in human history. Uh, but because of our instant connection to the medias, all the medias that we have, we have more access to the broken parts of our world and the broken parts of things than ever before. And that's why so many people feel like right now, in this moment in history, uh, that the world is falling apart. Meanwhile, news organizations are just raking in advertising dollars. We're to fight against injustice. But we're not supposed to, it starts with thinking about what justice is supposed to be. Thinking about what right um, measurements are supposed to be. And then Paul goes on and he says, whatever is pure. So he's talking about a mind that's not mixed with sin. Um, maybe this comes out in ways, um, and this can be a very personal thing uh, for many people. This is uh, fanning or fueling a thought life of bitterness and anger in your life. Or maybe allowing fantasy and lust to to creep into your mind and your mind continues to play over scenarios in your head or replaying an event that has happened in your life, in your past, over and over and over. Paul says, think about what is pure. Think about what is untainted. And he goes on to say, whatever is lovely, whatever is beautiful and pleasing, whatever floods your soul with emotions and peace, Whatever is admirable, he goes on. This, is, this word admirable in Greek is actually um, a good report or um, something that's well recommended, right? So um, if your thought life was just out there for people to see, uh, would people say, oh, I highly recommend that thought life. I highly recommend what you're thinking about right now. Whatever is excellent or praiseworthy, um, excellence of character, life done well, um, anything deserving of praise. Um, now, really quick, um, I, I just mentioned this a, a second ago, but what if there was like a new feature on your iPhone um, or your iPad that actually was, was able to take your thoughts and uh, display those thoughts um, on the wall next to you or on a screen in front of your house church. What would that be like? What would that conversation be? Um, what are you thinking about? Maybe it's just this. Maybe it's like, what are you thinking about when it comes to the future? Right? What if, what if that was displayed on the wall? Is it this dark, gloomy, uncertain, anxiety-filled future? Or is it one of hope 
and healing and reconciliation. You know, Paul is calling all of us to to look out on the world, the world that we live in, and celebrate the goodness of God. That's what Paul's calling us to do. And what's interesting about all the things that we just read that that Paul said, focus on these things. These are all things that are very common in Greek philosophy. You notice that Paul doesn't say things like, think about the Bible. Think about the cross. Think about coffee cups with verses on them. That's not what Paul thinks about. In fact, these things that Paul is mentioning are not distinctively Christian. They're actually things that the Greek philosophers would have loved that list to contain. Paul is saying here that good is good. The world is teeming with the generosity of God, and it's easy to be deaf and blind to all the beauty around us. N.T. Wright, uh, you guys know that I love to quote N.T. Wright, and I got a longer quote here from him, but I think this is really helpful for us to get into the to the thinking of Paul here. He says, the command in verse 8 to think about all the wonderful and lovely things listed here runs directly opposite to the habits of mind instilled by modern media. Read the newspapers. Their stock in trade is anything that is untrue, unholy, unjust, impure, ugly, of ill repute, vicious, and blameworthy, Is that a true representation of God's good and beautiful world? How are you going to celebrate the goodness of the creator if you feed your mind only on the place in the world which humans have made ugly? How are you going to take take steps to fill your mind instead with all the things that God has given us to be legitimately pleased with and to enjoy and celebrate? See, That is God's heart for us. That is Paul exuding God's heart for us. And he goes on in verse 9, he says, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Paul's saying like, hey, this is, I've I've taught you guys, I've been in your presence. Um, You guys have read other letters that have been passed around. You've probably read my letter to the Romans. Um, You've you've read some of the Gospels in different forms. Um, That's what we should be thinking about. Look at my example. Follow me as I follow Jesus. And the Gospel of Jesus is, is kind of how we know the account of the life and ministry And death and resurrection of Jesus is how we know what to celebrate and what to critique. There are things that we need to celebrate. We can find the good in so much. It's actually all over the place. And then Paul finishes his little chunk here with, and the God of peace will be with you. He links how we think to peace. How we think, the things that we choose to think about in our lives and the the things we choose not to think about in our lives with peace. Now, Paul is saying the way you think 
and the way you feel are connected. You know what's crazy? Long before psychologists, long before people who map the brain, long before science got involved, Paul nails it. Turns out the things that we think about affect how we feel. And the exact opposite of thinking good thoughts and wholesome thoughts and pure thoughts and admirable thoughts and noble thoughts, the, act, the exact opposite is also true. If we constantly engage in fear and anger and darkness, turns out we will live unsettled lives. And remember that Paul is calling the people of Philippi to live as a colony of the king. Meaning, and this is repeat, that the way you live your life is meant to heavenize the world. And heaven is a place of God's rule and God's reign. Things are weighted right. Things are pure and blameless. Things are full of hope and love. And we're to live that way. But if we peddle in anxiety and fear and anger and frustration, and all of our lives are just soaking in and pulling in, all of our social media and the news and getting angry and wanting to debate and frustrated at people not wearing masks at the proper time and all that stuff. We're not a colony of heaven. We're not a colony of the king. We are no different. Now, in my life growing up, the church has always talked about the heart. You know, that whole phrase that I always make fun of, inviting Jesus into your heart and all that kind of stuff. I think the church is kind of neglected talking about the mind. I mean, there are great places in Scripture, uh, Romans uh, 12.1 and, and all these different places that talk about the renewal of our mind and how we think and all that kind of stuff. Your mind, okay, um, you can love God with your, with your thought life and with learning. Your mind is either an act of worship or an act of rebellion against God. That's why the Torah says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. Now, here's the thing. When, when we are filled with hope, and optimism and trust. It comes from a place of allegiance to, to God. When we're filled with fear and negativity, there's, there's a disconnect on our trust of who God is. So the question is, what is in your mind? What is in my mind? What is in our mind as a community? FDR once wrote this. He said, uh, men are not prisoners of fate, but of their own minds. I want to I ask you are, you, are you a prisoner of your mind? 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through, four, three through 5, is Paul uh, sharing this kind of a concept with the Corinthian church. 
And he says, for we live, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight um, with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And that word stronghold is a tricky word because you hear that sometimes in Christian circles and it's just kind of over-spiritualized. Paul is actually using that as a metaphor. So when the people of Philippi heard that, uh, they understand, and, and Corinthians, they understood that a stronghold was basically a dug-in position for the army, for the enemy army. A stronghold is a, on the side of a hill or side of a mountain, dug in, and it's tough to overcome it. And what, the question is, what are our strongholds? What are the things in our thought life that are, that are deep, that are dug in, that we can't shake? What are some anxieties rooted? What are some wounds? What are some um, things that we replay over and over in our head that we just cannot shake? Paul calls that a stronghold. Now, I've been doing some reading and I've been doing some listening to some podcasts and, and there's all this work being done, scientific research in, in the, both the medical field and the psychology field about neuropathways um, and neuroplasticity. And neurons, you know this, uh, going back to high school science, neurons are actually capable of creating thought pathways. And so uh, we form neuropathways in our brains. The more you do something, the more you repeat something, the more you consistently make something part of your life, the more you form and think automatically. It just becomes something you do. It just becomes an instantaneous um, go-to response because you formed a pathway in your mind. And it could be a good response, it could be a good pathway, or it could be a destructive one. And this is where researchers talk about neuroplasticity. Uh, it turns out that we used to think that our brains were pretty much set um, and formed and done growing uh, by the uh, early 20s um, of our lives. And uh, it turns out that's not true that researchers have actually seen that uh, our brains are in a sense plastic, meaning they're moldable, they're formable, and they're not set in stone, they're not concrete. And um, so that old phrase, it's uh, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, is actually not true. You can teach um, new tricks and new ways of responding into your brain. And your brain can change and grow, and the muscles and the organ, I mean, it can change. Um, and so if you've been one that's been consistently more negative in your life, um, um, it's an interesting thing that you can actually begin to change the negativity in your life. Now, what's interesting is psychologists have normally studied poor behavior. 
Throughout the history of psychology, throughout the history of human behavior and how the brain functions, most psychology work um, and, and study has gone into negative behavior and negative thought life. And until recently, until like the late 90s, there were a bunch of psychologists that got together that started to talk about positive psychology. And the idea behind it was, hey, we only study unhappy people, okay? Why don't we start studying happy people? Why don't we start studying people with more optimism and, and things like that? And so the idea was, instead of just making miserable, pe miserable people normal, let's make normal people happy. And so of all the findings and all their research of studying happy people, um, they, they came up to uh, a head with this, the myth, the myth that I am, if I am successful, then I'm happy. These researchers said, no, that's actually not in the data. It's about how you think about the world. That the happiest people that they came into contact with actually chose to think a certain way about their life and their meaning in the world. And they did this over time and they developed a series of neural pathways in their mind that created certain responses. So no matter what they faced, no matter what um, injustice or letdown or frustration, they were genuinely happy. Now, there were five takeaways from this research. Four we find in the book of Philippians. One of them we don't, but we can work it. Five of them, they say that, that you can rewire your brain in 21 days. And so the idea here is the first one is meditation or prayer. I mean, this is all through Philippians. This is all through our structure of being a, a community of followers of Jesus. Uh, not Eastern meditation, but Hebrew meditation. This idea of reading scripture and praying through scripture and filling our mind with good things. They, they, they bring up the idea of gratitude, that every day to write down three things that you're grateful for, and that, that if you do this over 21 days, you will, you will actually experience real, lasting, deep gratitude. You'll begin to reform neuropathways in your mind. Uh, they, they mention conscious acts of kindness, uh, to serve and to be generous. Paul talks about this all through the letter how they served him and they've been generous with him and, and, and what it looks like to be a community that is about laying down their lives for each other, that that's how they should act and react towards each other. This is, this is crazy. Um, then they talk about journaling. Paul doesn't talk about journaling, but he does talk about life-giving moments. And the, the idea behind their uh, reading and their research is that those people who write down at the end of every week a life-giving moment from that week is kind of the attuned to the, the gratitude piece. Those people will actually be living richer, fuller lives. And the final one is healthy relationships. What Paul has been talking about most of this letter is healthy relationships together as a colony of the king. And so when we rework and remap our brains around these practices... Um, what's interesting is these guys list these things, but followers of Jesus have been encouraged and have been saying these things for thousands of years. Thousands of years.
And we need a 20-year psychology study to go, oh, maybe you should pay attention to that. See, there's a difference between self-help and the Gospels. The Gospel, okay, the end of the Gospel is Jesus. The end of the Gospel is uh, a relationship with the, the Savior King. The end of self-help is happiness. That's well and good, but I'll take the Gospels. I'll take, I'll take the Gospels. I would love us to be the kind of people that practice joy, that think about good things, that push out, okay, to push out the anxious and the fear, that yearn for the generous and the life-giving. Um, and when Paul says, and, and when Paul says, the God of peace will be with you, it's not a narcissistic self-help technique. To Paul, it is about the peace of God and, and what God has been saying all along. And so, church, we're in the middle of a crazy season. But how you think matters, period. It matters. It matters to the world around us. It matters to your family and friends. It matters to how you interact with your workmates. It, it, it matters in how the gospel is seen and experienced all around us. How you think matters. What you think you will become. That is flat out true. It is true, as Paul says it, it is true, as psychologists say it. Um, and here's, you can't reprogram in one day. You can't just, I wish you could. I wish we could just take, you know, a little pin and hit that little reset button, you know, on the back of our brain CPU and, 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 and we could start that process over. No, it takes hard work. It takes community. It takes us helping each other think about what is pure, what is blameless, what is right, what is just, what is admirable, what is noble, thinking about these things. So may we, may you and I, may us as a house church, may us as a restoration community, may we be intentional and relearn how to think as an act of worship with the living God. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for this church. And although we are somewhat separated and disconnected physically from face-to-face -face contact, God, may we meet May we be more connected than ever before. May we help each other learn to think differently. May we help each other get past the ways we used to think or the normal patterns we fall into. God, will you renew our mind? Will you pull us into a better way of thinking? May the world, watching world see the way we communicate and act and think and have a taste of what it looks like to follow Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Go talk about it. <laughs>